Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the OutKick network, this is OutKick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. Our thanks to Kennedy Chandler, point guard for the Memphis Grizzlies, for joining us in the first hour. If you missed that, you can find it wherever you download your audio. Just search out OutKick 360 for the daily podcast as well as the YouTube channel. Coming up in an hour, Riddle from the WWE preparing for SummerSlam, which is right here in our backyard of Nashville, Tennessee, taking place at Nissan Stadium this Saturday night. Knocking on wood right now for the weather to cooperate because it's going to be raining all week long. And uh, I'm hopeful that 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 comes and goes without issue because this is like a next-level type of event that we could potentially see here more often, especially once the Dome gets underway, gets built. Uh, But we're years down the road from that this is the first event of its size and magnitude from a a global standpoint that will be right here in nashville looking forward to it riddle joins us at uh, four o'clock central outkick 360 across the outkick network from sixth and peabody with yeehaw beer and old smoky moonshine coming up we'll get into some sec headlines from last week we'll discuss it and uh, review what we learned from our conversations uh, across the different programs, but also what was said at the podiums by these coaches. Um, and on Friday, we learned the NCAA finally handed down its its notice of allegations for the University of Tennessee, and more importantly, Jeremy Pruitt, where names were named and money is on paper and pointing at different sources, not just Pruitt, but also his wife. <laughs> Mrs. Pruitt involved uh, one of those names of, that were named. Helping pay for rent, among other things, upwards of fifteen grand on that, and are just around sixty thousand dollars total, uh, which points back to Pruitt and um, and others within the program. So, um, it, the biggest I think point of emphasis from it is what the NCAA says about Tennessee. They, while they are being you know slapped on the hand a bit based on the wording and phrasing of things. They were. It's not as though they failed to oversee everything that was going on. That it's made clear they didn't rise to that level or threshold of punishment based on the way the NCA phrased the the wording of the response. Let's. And I'm glad we're bringing this up now because this news hit last week when I was out, and I had a lot of thoughts when I was I was reading through the notice of of allegations, 51 pages of it from the NCAA, and I'm thinking, you know, the big takeaway. For Tennessee is no lack of institutional control. A failure to monitor charge to the head coach and his staff. No lack of institutional control. Now, when Tennessee made this play, when they did this, they decided we're going to fire the coaches. We are going to hold a press conference. We're going to clutch our pearls over the violations that were committed. I'm thinking this is a dangerous gambit by Tennessee. Because they are admitting to some really bad things in a press conference in hopes that being forthcoming will save their future with the NCAA. 
And I, I, I was skeptical of this plan. I, I've, I've seen LSU and Arizona and Kansas and others with this basketball scandal that have basically put the middle finger up to the NCAA and said, come and get us. We're going to keep our coaches that win, and we're not going to share anything with you. And I've got to say, Tennessee was right and I was wrong because they dodged a bullet. I think that they're going to get the punishment that they've already self-imposed, which was a couple of recruiting weekends this past year uh, where they could not bring in recruits. They've already had scholarship reductions. They're probably going to get some more of that, but nothing crippling. I would be shocked if they get any sort of bowl ban. I think this is largely over with now from a Tennessee perspective. Now, on the Jeremy Pruitt side of things, he's screwed. Uh, He's going to get a 10-year show cause. I don't think he's ever going to coach in college football again. As crazy as that sounds when everyone says the NCAA has no power, when the school that employed you decides to go state's witness, ask Bruce Pearl when Tennessee decided to fire him over the barbecue. Tennessee could have helped protect him. They fired him. It made a five-year show cause very easy for the NCAA because Tennessee fired him. I think the same is going to happen with Jeremy Pruitt. I think Tennessee probably played this the right way just by saying, here's all of our information. Here you go, NCAA. We're inviting you to campus. We're going to investigate with you. Here's what we found. Turn it over. And then you get these statements from the NCAA saying, Tennessee is now the standard of how you handle an NCAA investigation. I read that, Paul, and I immediately think, that means they're not going to get hit with anything more than a slap on the wrist. I think they handled it perfectly well after the fact. I think they've done a remarkable job getting off the hook, not with the NCAA, but like reputationally for what they did that got them on the hook in the first place. Philip Fuller, Fulmer is a beloved figure in University of Tennessee lore, as he should be. But he did a crappy job when he came in to save the last disaster and created what could have been another disaster. Wasn't, wasn't a football fix. Jeremy Pruitt was awful high. Jeremy Pruitt was awful. I know they got on a little bit of a, a winning streak there that looked like it had some promise but the guy didn't know what he was doing it was a bad hire by the way a guy that he interviewed one of the three is mel tucker who's one of the highest paid coaches in football now michigan Steele. state yeah. kevin still was the other which, one which looking now would have been an easier decision to make if you could go back in hindsight and hire someone different he chose poorly he didn't make the university look good in front of the the microphone. He didn't do much to restore anything for anything. And now he's got something. How many years has he been out? He's been out two years. And there's still a story coming back that doesn't make them look good. I mean, unless you're, you're in it to the level that we're in it, saying this is the way you do things when you botch things with the NCAA. But wouldn't it have been better if they had gotten to the point they – if they had made the right hire like they've made now with Heupel, they'd be two years ahead of where they well, are. And that's what you would have rather had happen, and they botched it. Uh, he botched the hire, there's no doubt. And I don't think he would argue that with, with anyone. Um, I, I disagree that he made the school look bad behind the microphone. I think he was fine. Pruitt? No, I'm talking about No, uh, I'm Fulmer. talking about Pruitt. Pruitt, yes. Pruitt looked like look, a dope. The, the, sometimes the way things appear are the way things are. Yeah. Jeremy Pruitt appeared to be a rube. Yeah, and he was. Yeah. I mean, he had him and his wife were giving direct payments to players. Yeah, I which, said last week, Chad, if you're going to violate, violate well beyond $60,000. Well, I mean, also, that's a look, I, I don't, I, I was on Dan Dockich's uh, Sirius XM show Saturday morning from up in Nebraska. He, he never he stops me on working, about that. by the way. Yeah, he's always got a show. 
Um, but he was asking me about it, and he, he almost came to He's like, you know, you're, it's interesting what you're saying because I've always had this hard-line stance on cheating is cheating is cheating, and I was not a guy who ever cheated in Indiana because I, I played and coached for Bob Knight, who was thoroughly against it. But he said, I see this report, and I'm thinking, am I really going to be morally outraged because his wife helped out the parent of a player with $1,200 in a payment for an apartment? Or that Jeremy Pruitt personally paid for medical bills for a mother who didn't have the money? Like, is that really? When you're looking at $60,000, and oh, by the way, there's an incoming Tennessee quarterback allegedly making $2 million a year to play football well, there? Times have Are we going to be outraged by $60,000? What outrages me about it is the level of stupidity and how brazen Niedermeyer, Pruitt, Mrs. Pruitt, Shelton Felton, an assistant coach, they were brazenly dumb about how they went about this. And this cuts to the heart of a big problem. And I wish that Philip Fulmer could have seen through this with Jeremy Pruitt, and he didn't, and he made a bad hire, and he's no longer the AD for that reason also. Going back to Lane Kiffin, Tennessee has hired, the two times they got in trouble the NCAA is because they hired someone with zero respect for Tennessee. As a program. I'll say it. Lane Kiffin came in there with a lot of swagger, a young guy. He had no knowledge of the history of the program. To turn it into he USC? had no idea they were a top 10 all-time winning program. Did not care. He came in with the attitude that you have to cheat your ass off to win at Tennessee. Jeremy Pruitt got accustomed to just beating the living you-know-what out of Tennessee at Alabama or Georgia or anywhere that he was, right? He takes that job thinking... Boy, to get good quick, I better just start handing over cash to people and making sure that we're cheating to staying ahead of it. When you hire people that have no real respect for the history of that program, it's not. And again, I'm not going and saying Jeremy Pruitt in Tennessee, the only program to ever pay recruits. Jeremy Pruitt did not learn this at Tennessee. His wife, he met her at Florida State working for Jimbo Fisher who just stood behind a podium and went after Nick Saban, said, oh, we would never do anything like that. They don't learn this just when they get to Tennessee. But the problem I have with it is it speaks to a blatant disrespect for the program and the school where you are. And I think this goes back to Lane Kiffin. I think Jeremy Pruitt is guilty of it also. I think Jeremy Pruitt's a good defensive coach. I don't think Jeremy Pruitt's got any future in college football coaching after this notice of allegations. None. Well, the cash... the. Cash amounts uh, may be a bit off in what we were thinking, but you know, it was Dan Patrick who put out the McDonald's bags of cash. That was what was being discussed well, like a year and a half ago. And McDonald's is mentioned in the 51-page document. Um, bags of cash, I mean, it depends on how much uh, well, cash that- is a lot to you, but the reports are in, in the actual um, in the actual record from the NCAA around $225. Yeah, and they, they say it's an erroneous report. The NCAA says there was an erroneous report by Dan Patrick about bags of cash at McDonald's said that there was the confusion was they delivered McDonald's to a family for dinner at night. The breakfast was Chick-fil-A, which is hilarious in an NCAA report, and there were no bags of cash. That report is, is false, that they were not receiving that. Most of the money, if you read through it, is hotel payments, it's travel expenses paid to families and to recruits for illegal recruiting weekends during COVID. 
They couldn't pay for anything during that, and they paid for, in one case, there were six recruits that came in. Tennessee didn't land any of them. It was an entire weekend with six big-time recruits. They all went elsewhere. Tennessee paid for the hotel and everything else. That's a majority of the cash. Now, um, there were payments of cash made to current players to entertain recruits, over $1,000 paid to some of them to take recruits out that were in for the weekend. But a majority of this is illegal payments made to bring people in for dinner, travel expenses, things like that. Hit us up with your thoughts at Outkick360 is where you can find us on social media. Coming up, we will get into the SEC news and we'll recap last week's big headlines from Atlanta. And we'll go through some of our interviews and chats and our big takeaways across the conference as practices get set to begin across the Southeastern Conference. News and notes next on Outkick 360. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. We are back, OutKick 360, live across the OutKick network, live in our 6th and Peabody studios, downtown Nashville, with old smoky moonshine and yeehaw beer. We're ready to talk some SEC, boys. I was bummed uh, to be out last week and see all the fun you guys were having with all the SEC uh, guests live from Atlanta. Shout out to our crew that went down. Uh, Davey Hudson got it done for us. Boots on the ground there in Atlanta. Um, coming back into the studio, guys, I'm wearing the Old Smoky polo, and I went to the restroom, and I'm coming out, and this nice older gentleman stopped me and asked my opinion on a lot of products here at the venue <laughs> because he thought I was a uh, salesperson. Yeah, and I was like, sir, I, I, we just host a show that's back here on the left. He's oh, like, yes. I would have gone. But then he goes, but, but my son, is a, he's a craftsman, um, and he, he knows his beer, and I'm trying to make a selection to take back to him, and I'm like, you need to go with this, this, this. I just started Did listing. Yeah. I would have done that. Totally. I would have walked doing. him around. I would have come in five minutes late for the it's segment and come in with the whole story. aftertaste with this one, but I think you're really going to like that. Do you want this, something a little more hoppy? I've been admiring this sweatshirt for days. I bought one for my <laughs> son and my wife for Christmas. I love the floral design. And the elements, field day. This, I mean, can we talk quickly about this Kyler Murray thing? Because I think it's a big deal. Ian Rappaport just sent this out. I know we're heading towards SEC conversation. But there is an addendum in the contract that Kyler Murray must weekly do four hours of independent study. There is no finance attached to this. And, and Rappaport um, makes it like the team thought it was important, important, so Kyler Murray thinks it's important. I think this is a babysitting clause that indicates to me the Cardinals don't think that Kyler Murray will do enough work on his own, so they had to put it in the contract. And it says, like, I guess they can monitor it in some way, shape, or form, but it says, like, for the avoidance of doubt, players shall not receive any credit for independent study with respect to any time periods, blah, 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 if the player is not personally studying or watching the material while it's being displayed on an iPad, if he's watching television, playing video games, or browsing the internet while such material is being displayed. 
So they're like, he's got to be watching and studying the iPad and can't be dilly-dallying on other stuff. Well, they can keep up with it now because whenever they distributed these iPads during COVID, that's how they, that's how they tracked whether or not these guys were actually during the time that they weren't on the field and they, they could not be in the room. They were bused to different locations right. or whatever. Um, that's how they kept up with uh, your screen time. And then it, they would boast about players' screen time. Consider it akin to when you take your HR test yes, on yes. Uh, you know, domestic issues in the workplace or yes. something like that. That's a great example. You can't just uh, let it run and, and at the end, you know, on good faith, pass the test. I think it's really smart of the Cardinals. I'd like to see if this is in anyone else's well, contract. Well, we've not heard about it being in We haven't heard about it, but you know, maybe agents or someone comes out and says that's not that uncommon. You know, nowadays for My new contracts that are signed. My quarterback, Chad, is doing this without a contract Well, but, it. I mean, we can say that the, this shows that they are skeptical. They just gave the guy the second richest contract for a quarterback. I don't think they're that skeptical of him with what they gave him in this contract. So, I, I read it as, yes, Paul, I think there's something to that, that maybe he needs to spend a little more time working on the, the you know, the, the, the plays for the upcoming week. In the game plan, I also read it as it's fancy legal maneuvering and language to try to get out of a bonus, or if there's some sort of contractual issue, you can try to get out of it with this, saying you've breached the contract if they have proof of it because they can monitor what he's doing on the tablet. I, I don't know. I, I think it's a pretty smart way, smart way to go about it if you're the Cardinals, the team end of it. It makes me more worried about Kyler Murray. And what they've seen from him through his first three years. Yeah, and I mean, the the whole aura around Murray and the Cardinals towards the end of last year was just off, right? He's removing stuff from the social media, but then, you know, he was the talk of right before the new league year started, what was going to happen there at that position. He didn't if, react if well to that was going to be back. That playoff loss, that spoiled well, a lot of it because he felt like he took the blame. Yeah, and it wasn't on him. Uh, the... And I've, I've talked to a couple different coaches about that whenever they were watching the Rams and the Cardinals. And that they said that was malpractice by Kingsbury and the coaching staff on how they set up that, that offense but and what they were doing based on there, the score. But there are two layers there, right? He's got how he handles it privately and how he handles it publicly well, and that what was you also, want from your quarterback. But that was, I mean, how he handles it privately and publicly is coming off of about a month's stretch where they were losing their right. way into the postseason Absolutely. and there was talk about whether or not they were going to trade the guy this offseason so um he's reacting to all that and how he was set up to get the crap beat out of him in that game and he, he was hit even though he was getting rid of the football and turning the football over at times point being the whole thing has been off but then he shows up to all of the voluntary work and then of course the mandatory work for two or three days and we haven't heard much of the conversation since then they extend him and this is a, supposed to be a time when, you know, there's a bit of a celebration and a pat on the back in many ways, in many regards to today's NFL. Um, and when you consider that they take him number one overall, this is the self-appointed quarterback that Kingsbury wanted. Steve Keim, a year after drafting Josh Rosen, switches gears. It's a risky move. Switches gears and drafts Kyler Murray, the guy who at the time we weren't sure if he was going to be fully committed because he was also talking baseball quite a bit. He could have gone the baseball route. Uh, he's been drafted not once but twice, I believe, uh, by Major League Baseball. Very good player. Have you seen those numbers? Uh, well, They've no. been out lately. The Oakland A's payroll and his annual average salary are the same. Exactly the same. 
Wow. Well, but you he, consider he might be making a little bit more than poor he is. where they were and now where they are in expectations. Um, and you give your guy who you drafted number one overall at quarterback the big extension. This is normally a time where it's really hard to find any negatives behind it. And uh, unfortunately, I, you, you look through it and you think, man, one, one of the two are not surviving, Kingsbury and Murray. And now you've got the money attached to Murray. Kingsbury's got to win now. That, that's how I view it. Steve Kahn, the same way. That's a huge year for them. And uh, they, they usually start hot and finish bad. Out. And now Hopkins out at the beginning is going to hurt them. Very interesting team in a very interesting division. I don't like this clause, though. A couple of, uh, of news and notes from the SEC and takeaways, observations from last week. Alabama and Georgia, they bring the star power, right? You've got Bryce Young and Will Anderson. Will, Will Anderson, going back and reading transcripts and watching him on Radio Row, uh, that guy is just, he's cut from a different cloth. That guy is, uh, he's an NFL player, ready through and through, leader. When you think about franchise guys on defense, you can just tell in his mannerisms and how he projects himself uh, that, that he's going to be awesome at the next level. He can stay healthy. Uh, Bryce Young, defending uh, Heisman winner, chance to, to go down in the, the history books at Alabama with the national championship. There's pressure there despite the success that he's had. He's got to win a title to be considered among the best. And uh, athletically, he's the best that Saban's coached. There's no question about that. But best overall, Bama fans aren't putting him in that regard yet. He's got to go win a championship. So there's, there's certainly uh, headlines there. Headlines, of course, with Georgia, with Stetson Bennett coming back as the uh, championship-winning quarterback. No one's picking him in the Heisman race. No one's picking him in the top five, six, seven quarterbacks in his own conference. Um, but the way he handled things and the way that, uh, that Georgia was on Radio Row, um, it's about what you expect. How they're, ne- they're never going to be hunted. We're going to do the hunting. That's the message from Kirby Smart. And I, I like the tone that he took there. But guys, the other big takeaway is outside of those two teams, I thought Tennessee handled uh, things the way I would have expected some other programs to do, from Hendon Hooker um, to Cedric Tillman um, and, and Trey Flowers. I thought from a players who expect a win and are ready for the type of expectation placed against them, I thought Tennessee handled things uh, the right way and the way that I think you want the, a team with heavy expectations to address certain issues uh, on the eve of, of camp opening. Uh, other than that, I thought it was a very, um, outside of you know Mike Leach saying some things about uh, trick plays and, and how it's difficult to come up with trick plays anymore based on the way the offenses are, are built, and uh, some of the things from Sam Pittman on, on Traylon Burks, who's not there right now, I thought Tennessee came away with the most newsworthy type of moments outside of the two teams that we expect to play for the SEC championship. Well, they certainly acted UT like, uh, uh, you know, like the expectations were nothing to them and they, they fully expect yeah, yeah. to be, you know, right in the mix there, the top of the next level. Certainly, nobody's bowing down. I mean, some of the lower teams, obviously, but nobody goes in there and bows down to Alabama and Georgia and says, right. oh, well, you know, it's over. We know who the SEC championship game is or anything like that. But uh, Tennessee was getting a lot of respect from a lot of people, even though they, they finished behind Kentucky in the poll. I'm not putting that much in the poll and since some doofus is, uh, is voting for Vanderbilt to win the, not just the, the East, but the whole thing. 
So well, outside uh, of that one vote, though, I thought it was a fairly accurate representation of where we all sit on who's finishing two, three, four. Yeah. Because there's a big mix and match of of who could go where. But I, th- I thought Tennessee carried itself like a team that that belongs in in the mix there, and I I expect them to be that. Well, I mean, it, it, in the mix, if you mean in the mix for second place yeah. in the East, yeah, yeah I, I think they're in the mix. They're they're not. And that Anywhere could pull a big upset. Anywhere near the realm of Alabama or could Georgia, pull a the big upset ones. that would surprise people. Um, did Clark Lee mean to say best program in the yes. nation? Yeah. Or did he mean we to say we had a lot of conversation about best this. program? Like, yes, you can go I guess ahead. If you're the best and, program in the SEC, then you, you're the best program in the nation. I, we said, Chad, you know, you can go out and lay out that thirty thousand foot long term view, but you can't do it without speaking about the fact that you've got to do something to get your team to win one game. Yeah, in I the don't, SEC at the same time, a ground level view, and he just refuses to talk on that level. I didn't, I didn't like that from Clark Lee, and I've liked almost everything that he said, and it's that reason because we praise Tennessee and Danny White for actually laying out. Here are the number of games we want to win in every sport. Here's the amount of SEC championships we want from each coach. Here's a national championship we want in ten years. These are the parameters for success for our coaches. And Clark Lee throws out a very vague, we all know that we're going to be the best program in America. Well, then asked about the SEC losing streak. Oh, we don't talk about that. You know, we're not focused on on winning an SEC game. And I'm well, thinking, better. it's okay to say, yeah, that it's bad. It starts with the win. We need to get over the hump. We almost did in Columbia, South Carolina a year ago. We let one slip away. There was some bad coaching late in that game. He's talked about some things he might do a little bit differently, some some mistakes that were made by his team also. And again, I, I, I like Clark Lee. I like almost everything that he said. I think if you're going to say something like that, you also need to acknowledge the losing streak and how big it's going to be to win a game. Otherwise, you sound like a crazy man. Yeah. And he sounded like a crazy man. A little bit. And, well, and he would say that uh, the media bowed down and you know got on their knees for James Franklin here in town every time he said something that was brash or demanding that he's the top team in the SEC East. So, But he um, also had a couple wins in relative short order, didn't he, James Franklin? No, he, I mean, he was here and he went back-to-back something. years for nine wins, uh, took, took the job over and demanded that people follow his team because Vanderbilt was not going to be the Vanderbilt of the year prior. And they went out there and won. Like they, Then he left. He bolted as soon as things got good. Yeah, I, don't, I think it's two very different things. James Franklin won and then talked about needing more support because they're trying to change the mindset of Vandy and they want to be a different Vandy. Derek Mason, I remember, got crushed in year one because he went out there and said, our goal is to win the SEC this year. And people were questioning him and he went out and lost by 30 to Temple. In, in the first game of the season, and there was a steep well, drop-off from James Franklin. Well, let, let's, let's add on some layers there. He got crushed because he said he was going to take the same recruiting mindset that he had at Stanford, yeah, which was this national recruiting base, which is the exact opposite of what James Franklin was going to do. He said he was going to recruit defense, and they're going to be a run-first mentality, and it was the opposite of what we were seeing from a James Franklin-led team. And in, in that respect... He's also saying he's going to win the SEC East, and then you're exactly right about Temple. He deserved to be fired after that game. I, I don't – going back to the Clark Lee thing, I don't put a lot of stock into like big statements made by someone at SEC Media Days, regardless of if, if it's good or bad. I just thought that I'm fine with him saying that 
But then when you dodge the question about the SEC losing streak that is hanging over the heads of everyone at Vanderbilt well, right we, now. I asked him directly about that on the show. Yeah, then that, that to me, you, you got to answer both. Okay, how are you going to go about doing that? Okay, we have a plan. Well, we don't talk about you got to get over the losing streak before you're the best program in the country. That's step one. That's the only thing I had an issue with. Uh, but again, I, I, I like him. I think he's got a plan. I know he's got a plan. Whether it works or not remains to be seen. On to the Tennessee part of this. Well, real quick, on, on, the, on the Vanderbilt front, if he doesn't say that, no one's talking Vanderbilt this week. No one's talking Vanderbilt last week. So it, in, in a way, it is a win because he is item three or four on a list of newsworthy moments from last week where no one is talking Vanderbilt Commodore athletics nationally, locally, uh, regionally. They're not moving the needle. And to be a part of the conversation in a, a very deliberate state of the Vanderbilt Commodore address where he said the most words of any coach that got up there, he mentions the, we're, our, here's our goal. Here's where we're going to end up. That's fair. That but is fair. I, I think he gets that if he says what he said, but at the same time acknowledges we got to start with an SEC win. Do, do both. We talked, you oh, and I, I talked about I the 30,000 foot view and a ground level view. And he could say the 30,000 foot view and still get the headlines for that. And nobody would have, well, he would said have messed over with the ground level. He said over 2,100 words in his opening statement, and I watched every one of them live. And he didn't shy away from the losing. In fact, he viewed last year, he put it as very necessary. An hour and a half later, he came on the show live with us, and we, we said, we, I asked him the same thing. Why, why was last year necessary based on you know, where you view yourself right now? And I, in no uncertain terms, he's pointing at what he inherited and what Derek Mason left as to where they are and what they have to go through. And I think looking forward, he's got to start playing the freshman. Yeah, you said yeah, that. He's got to and start playing the freshman, point. and he knows that there, there there may be light at the end of the tunnel, but it's you can't tell it's whether or not time. it's a, tra- a, a train or the sun is rising or setting at the end D- of the train. They, but I think it's somewhat well naive. under him. For Vanderbilt standards, they've I, recruited very well. That's why I think you got to play yeah, those they're, guys. They're top 30 nationally. They're top 25 right now. I, mean, I, don't they're doing lose, I wouldn't want to lose them to the portal by not playing them. But also, you've got to acknowledge to your guys, they know it's, how long it's been since that program's won a game. I don't oh, know yeah. how you achieve the, the, the long-range dominance that he's talking about with, without acknowledging the current badness. Well, the current badness will have nothing to do with his team two years from now. Right. Because he'll have his guys in. But he's talking about He's talking today. Yeah, that. So he's not talking about being the best team in the nation. No, today. I know, but he's, he's speaking uh, uh, in the. He's present. doing his best to go beat Hawaii today. Yeah. All right. Circle that game. That that's one that I'm I'm looking early schedule on the season. I'm thinking, Chad, big test in that. That's a week before everyone else plays. That's that week zero. That's now called week one in college football. Northwestern plays Nebraska and Ireland. That Saturday, for uh, for ah, example, late at night, it's like a nine or ten o'clock start in Hawaii. That's a big game because if people say it's Hawaii, and I understand that, and this is an SEC team. They should have lost to UConn at home a year ago. They got housed by ETSU, who's not even FBS a year ago. They they snuck out a win against Colorado State. The two teams they beat were two of the worst in college football a year ago. You may laugh, but that's a big step if they go to Hawaii and win that game. That's a big step in the right yes. direction and positive momentum 
uh, for well, their season. Well, also, uh, and I asked Clark Lee about this. You know, he's got the trip to Hawaii. They are going to Northern Illinois. If there is another statement about how you view yourself and the reflection in the mirror, it's the SEC going on the road to play in the group of five, period. Just pick out a team. If the SEC's on the road, that tells you where they are in the hierarchy of how they view themselves and what they're trying to accomplish. And by doing the home-and-home or the two games in, in Nashville, one on the road, you're not paying your opponent as much to come on the road and play you because you're playing in their backyard uh, against the defending MAC champs, so uh, yeah, they're they're going to treat that as a bowl game too, and that that's putting them in no no great situation. Those are not the teams that should With, be playing. Well, well, they can They've play lost those teams. To a lot worse teams than those. They can play those teams, but play them at home. I mean, Paul, yeah. you're going to run out of teams to play oh. like if you're not handling UConn and Colorado State. Oh, I or, know. Northern yeah. Illinois. I mean, you can only play one FCS team, and they lost to that FCS oh, team. But Chad, a, a, ten, a, a SEC ago. program on the road at Northern Iowa or Northern, Northern Illinois, Illinois. Um, that tells you the hierarchy a bit. Yeah, Maryland's at Charlotte. We had Will Healy on, you know, a couple weeks ago, and that's another one that shows you where Maryland is financially. Right. The fact they're going to a mid-major on the road to play says a lot. Look, I like what Clark Lee has said so far. Um, I didn't love that statement. I didn't love that he wouldn't even talk about the losing streak. But that Hawaii game is one to circle for the for the future of that program. One big takeaway that deserves uh, a ton of attention is the way Brian Harson went at the issues of the offseason at Auburn. Didn't hide. Did not hide from it. The players spent a ton of time on Radio Row, as did Harson making the rounds. Um, we had uh, Trey Wallace on. The, the, to, to begin the show, this was Thursday. And I said, you know, uh, Harson addressing things head on was interesting. I, I, I still believe this is uh, his last year there, but he's pointing to, you know, the inquiry being tough um, and how it brought his, it, his, brought his team together. I, I spoke with uh, one of his players and asked, I said, is this actually true? That you actually believe that the team is closer now because of the inquiry of the offseason? He said, absolutely. Um, and I, I compare Ole Miss and Auburn in the same boat as, as uh, my expectation level. And, and here's how I compare. I want to look at Ole Miss and say, this is a team that takes a big step back this year based on where they were last year. And I look at Auburn and say, there's no way this team lives up to any type of win total uh, that fans may be wanting. But then you look at their schedule. Ole Miss's start to the season... They, they will be among the most talked about teams in the conference because they're going to be unbeaten. They're going to be 6-0 and uh, before you can bat an eye. And Auburn? Auburn op- opens up at home against Mercer and then San Jose State. They will then take on Penn State, a game that went down to the wire a year ago, and now it'll be it's at home, Jordan-Hare. Right? Yep, it'll be at Auburn. If they get to 3-0, and they're hosting Missouri, and then they host LSU. So... And, and if you start bat, you know, start looking around at what LSU and Missouri are doing, keep in mind what Auburn did against them and what they did against certain teams. That Auburn beat Ole Miss a year ago. Still going to be hollow, there are, though. Like, there are examples of why you can point to Auburn and think, man, this by October, by mid-October, we could be looking at this team as, man, this is a lot better group than what we expected, even though they haven't even hit the heart of the schedule yeah, yet. Yeah, where does it go from there? You have it in front of you? I'm going to get well, it. Well, I mean, they're going to play Alabama late. They're going to play Georgia in the middle of the season. Um, it's going to be it's going to be a remarkable coaching job if they 
even with that but schedule, they, they get start, off to a great start. They yeah. start 5-0. and oh. If they start 5-0, and oh, it's because their first five games are at home. Yeah, Georgia's next. Georgia, Ole Miss, Arkansas, Mississippi State, Auburn after that. No, they don't. You know, Western this Kentucky, is where, Bama. This is where the continuity issue, if it is going to be one, plays a factor out of this, the home. If they start fast, they're on to something. If not, Parsons out before – you know, before well, Thanksgiving rolls around. I think he's going to be out because I don't fully believe in their quarterback. I think we witnessed Zach Calzada's one shining moment against Alabama yeah, last year. Either him or TJ Finley. Yeah, I just don't think that he's got the quarterback he needs to go on a, on a great run this year. And you can only coach so well and coach up a, a quarterback situation right. that is not great in the SEC and, and win. So I, I just don't. I don't see it. I love how he handled himself. I love how he went right at all the issues at SEC Media Days. And you mentioned Tennessee also. Hold um, on, one, one I'm second big, on Auburn. They they could go five and zero legitimately. I would think they'd slip once, but sure. they could then go five and five. Sure, but starting five and zero and getting the fan base behind you again is a massive victory for Brian Harson. I mean, you start Jordan Hare is one of the best environments in college football, and if you get. Uh, if you get uh, Auburn starting on an unbeaten streak after the offseason they've had, I think it'd be tremendous. And you you get that team playing for that coach. But if you go five and zero, oh, and then it turns into five and five, I think people be bailing out it. Well, you know, maybe, all over. You know who, we were saying that last year, and they led Alabama ten nothing with five minutes to play in the game. You know who needs to bail out is Brian Harson if they get off to a five and zero oh start. Right. I would have my agent well, on out. the horn with everyone saying, "Hey, this guy faced all this this offseason." And he is five and zero with this group. Who wants him? Yep. Because You're exactly there right. is no loyalty there. We know that across sports, but there's no loyalty with the people and the money people that matter at Auburn. It's clear. Harson knows that. I think it's irreparable. Harson could win, and the fans will be kissing his feet because he's winning, and they'll go back on everything they did. And those big power boosters will go back on everything they did yeah. if they're winning. Not going to matter, I think, ever for Brian Harson. I think he came into that media days defiant. I think he's going to be defiant with those boosters. I think he's going to be defiant with the fans. So I think if he wins, he'd be wise to look for an out. Well, that agent better be active the first week of October before they get to Georgia, Mississippi, Arkansas, Mississippi State, Texas A&M. The agent was active this past offseason. I mean, sure, they were talking to Oregon this past offseason. Coming up, we'll get into Tennessee, some takeaways there. Um, and maybe we may need to make a show bet, gentlemen. Oh, I like it. Uh, it's been a while. I see the line, the early line between Vanderbilt and Hawaii, and we may need to you know, create a new 401k. <laughs> Going now. <laughs> Going now. <laughs> Details Simon, on that but coming time up. Time to bet your college. Outkick 360 rolls on. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. I'll kick 360 rolls on. I'm not sure how much the line will move between now and August 27th, honestly, but... Vanderbilt is currently favored by six and a half at Hawaii in week zero of the college football season. And we just all made bets. I mean, 
Yeah, if you're if you're looking to make some money, I think it's a, a favorable bet to to go with the home team getting points in an opening game where there is no preseason with huge travel. I, I don't know a thing about Hawaii football this year, but you know, but enough. they are banking on Vanderbilt to be a very different team this year. If they are a six and a half point favorite on the road against anyone, and I'm talking a lot of FCS teams that they would not have been a six-and-a-half-point favorite against a year ago. That's so, a crazy spread. But here, here's we'll the one again, thing. When I you nothing, see a crazy oh, spread, oftentimes that <laughs> means go on the side of the crazy yeah, spread. by seven. Uh, Hawaii yeah. could be Colorado State or UConn of a year ago. I don't know. I, I say all this to say I know nothing about Hawaii. I know that to put Vanderbilt as a close-to-touchdown favorite on the road against anyone, that is Vegas expecting Vandy to be very different from the 2021 version of Andy. What is Hawaii going to do when they knock down that stadium and build what looks to be a nice new stadium? Are they going to play in a high school field there? Are they knocking it down or just renovating? No, they're knocking it down. They're knocking it down and making a nice new complex. It's kind of a horseshoe field, but not not the traditional horseshoe. They're making it like a three-quarters field, and then one sideline will be re- reduced and not have much to it. It looks very nice, and they deserve to have that. Maybe it gets them back in the Pro Bowl thing, but at least they'll have like a legitimate football stadium in Hawaii for the university and whatever else they can draw out there. But I wonder what they're going to do for the year or two. I would imagine it would take two years to, to get the new one up oh, the, see, the, at the same venue. Uh, the, the article I read last week, I just pulled up my history. The headline from Honolulu is proposed seating expansion and other upgrades to the University of Hawaii's Clarence TC Athletics Complex once slated for the summer of 2022, has been pushed back at least a year. So they, they look at it. The way that, that phrases that is uh, upgrades to their campus facility. I saw something different that, that looked to be new. Well, now, maybe, maybe they were building it you know, like across from it and then doing away with it, and it made it like a, a beautiful circular campus for the stadium. Hmm. Uh, it was. It's really a dump. I don't think it's worth saving. I, I see in the story the nine thousand seat facility. Go mm-hmm. back up, Hutton. Will remain intact, starting with the opener against Vanderbilt on August twenty seventh. So that's for now. Nine thousand. This was long range. Yeah, it's pretty small. Pretty small. I know high schools around here that might be more yeah. than nine thousand. That is tiny. I mean, I think nine thousand. They have at the star in the 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 Dallas oh, Cowboys more practice than facility. I think, I think it's, it's like 12, twelve. Yeah, twelve to fifteen thousand. I remember Mount Juliet High School when I was there hosted a game that had seven thousand in attendance in a state semifinal. That was a lot of standing room around the stadium, but nine thousand is pretty well, tiny. Th- this ties into discussion I was having last week with um, with the powers that at be for Middle Tennessee State. I was at an event there. Yeah, how'd that go? There, it was great. Uh, they they're leaning into NIL as well um, at their own level. But the the one thing that I'm excited about is so I, I was um, I was in high school whenever they ushered their program into Division One at the time as a part of just to be considered to meet regulations. Your stadium had to seat a capacity of at least thirty thousand. So they built this stadium that's too large for what they need. Yeah, and. They are now coming through with big-time renovations that will reduce capacity Shrink a it. significant uh, amount. And think Arkansas complex, where they're going to have the football complex that will be at one end of the end zone, and you can overlook what's going on inside the stadium. That this is a this is a again, trend. I, this is brilliant by them. 
that Texas Tech renovation Texas, yep. that's going to connect is brilliant by them. West Virginia shrinking the like size that. of these enormous stadiums is a smart business move. And there's no upping there's no, the price the ticket and making it more premium. Luxury. That Tennessee announcement that it's still going to seat a hundred thousand <laughs> is completely bogus. Yeah, there is no way you take out the complete upper deck of, of one end zone, put up a jumbotron, and make good, it a party way. deck, and have the same. It looks size great, bigger. But go from one hundred four to one hundred. That's some real mathematical wrangling that's going on to count for standing room only and sideline people uh, to get to 100,000. Final minute, Chad, then we've got Riddle coming up, but your thoughts on what you saw from Tennessee, and we can hit, hit back on this in hour number three. Very impressed with Hendon Hooker, uh, just overall. I know he was up in New York with Spire Sports the week before, but a very well-rounded guy, interesting. A day or two before. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I watched the interview you guys had with him. I, I was very impressed with him. Uh, there was a presence about Tennessee that's been lacking. In recent years, it felt like a marquee team rolling through when Tennessee. And I like the joke from Josh Heupel about the golf ball. They was asked, you know, hey, Lane Kiffin's been signing golf balls and mustard bottles. And he joked and said, yeah, I wish I had a golf ball that night also against Ole Miss. I'm <laughs> kidding. I'm kidding. I thought he played it perfectly. That was awesome, though, that uh, Kiffin came through and fans were waiting on him with, with mustard, mustard bottles, bottles yeah. to autograph. Last that is week. never going to go away for both Kiffin and for Tennessee. That will stay for a long time. And Kiffin made sure that the cameras were rolling before he he went there and signed it, then turned and posed. Oh, of course. It was classic. Uh, Coming up, SummerSlam for the WWE will be in Nashville this Saturday night at Nissan Stadium. WWE superstar Riddle joins OutKick 360 next on the OutKick Network. Hang with us.